Go ahead and open up your Bibles to, guess where? Hebrews. So we're studying the book of Hebrews, um, really just focusing on the supremacy of Christ. Focusing on the superiority of Jesus and how Jesus is greater than everything. We've seen a lot so far. Um, Really what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's painting a picture. And this picture is a marvelous display of the supremacy of Christ. Let's just think about... Let's just, let's just stop and think for a second. He begins by describing how God has spoken. We have a God who has spoken formerly and many times and in many ways by many messengers, prophets, through angels. But now God has spoken by His Son, Jesus. The supreme revelation of God. The, the final way God has spoken to us. Jesus is better than all the messengers who came before him. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. All the ways that God revealed himself in the Old Testament were foreshadowing how God would fully and finally reveal himself in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament is pointing to. One commentator said that the Old Testament is like one big arrow that's pointing toward Jesus. What was this message of the messengers? There's a message that messengers came to proclaim. What is this message? Throughout all human history, God has been communicating a message of what? Of salvation. Throughout all of history, this has been God's message. It is a message of salvation. That's the main message of the Bible. It's a message of salvation. From Genesis to Revelation, we we see our need for salvation. We see that Jesus has come to save us. And we see, you know, all that, how God has saved his people all throughout history and ultimately pointing to Jesus saving us from our sin and how one day God will fully and forever save us from all sin. We are warned not to neglect the salvation. We see this at the beginning of chapter two to not neglect the salvation that's been declared throughout the whole Bible, especially now that it has been brought to us by Jesus, God's own son. We're not to neglect this. We're in need of salvation because we've lost the dominion that God originally gave to us. He intended for us to have dominion and to rule here on earth. But because of sin, our dominion here is restricted. It's limited and we need it to be recovered. We need God to save, save us. And so he sent Jesus. So we're in need of this salvation. We had no hope to restore this rule that God intended for us to have on our own. And therefore, he sent Jesus to do just that. Jesus came to save us from the ruin that we created for ourselves because of our sin. He became like one of us. He took on flesh and blood. He shared in the same things that you and I have. He went through temptations. He went through suffering. He experienced things like us. And so that He is able to sympathize with us. He's able to relate to us because He Himself experienced these things. And He helps us when we are in need. He became like one of us and he died so that all who put their trust in him will be saved, will be made holy by the blood that he shed on his death on the cross. And more than that, Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister in Christ. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus is not ashamed of us. Jesus indeed is our perfect Savior sent from God who is able to help us. And therefore, we must consider Him. We must consider Jesus. We must 
think about Jesus. We must focus on Jesus. Set our minds on Jesus. Pay attention to Him. It's very easy, especially in a, in a day and age where uh, when, when really when social media rules our lives for the most part, and we have so, such little attention spans. I saw research that uh, said that it takes the average person about two seconds, two seconds to decide whether or not they're going to watch a video on TikTok. It just shows how quickly we just move past things. We don't really pay attention. We don't really stay on something for too long. But what we're going to talk about tonight is just being still, beholding Him, gazing upon Jesus, focusing on Him, considering Jesus, meditating on who He is. Taking time just to be still, to think about who this Jesus is. The author of Hebrews transitions his discussion from Christ's superiority over angels to what we're going to look at tonight, his superiority over Moses. There's a progression here showing how Jesus Christ is the climax of redemptive history and the fulfillment of God's old covenant in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of this, of the promises, the prophecies, and the patterns that we see in the Old Testament. Everything about the Old Testament points to Jesus. So understand that. So when you look at the Bible, when you're reading the Old Testament, which you should, there are people that say the Old Testament doesn't matter. They're dumb and they don't listen to anything they say. The Old Testament matters. It points to Jesus. Everything about the Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus and it is fulfilled in Jesus. So when we read the Old Testament, we need to remember this and look at how this is pointing to Jesus. And so tonight we're going to see how Jesus is greater than Moses. What does it mean and why does it matter to us that Jesus is greater than Moses? So let's look at our text for tonight and just see why Jesus is greater and why it matters to us. Pray with me and then we'll look at our text. Holy God, as we come into your presence tonight, just uh, we're thankful we can do so. We're thankful that we can enter into your presence, come before you confidently. God, something we just um, really don't think a lot about a lot of times. And so God, help us to be still in this moment. Would you keep us free from any distraction that might be begging for our attention in a world that is just urging us to consider everything else Besides Jesus, God, help us just to be still right now and just to consider Jesus, to focus on Jesus so that we understand just what it means that He is superior to the Old Testament, to Moses, to to all things. So would you give us minds that would understand Your Word tonight? Would you give us hearts that would just rest in You and that would just be stirred up to live for You and to long for You? Would you bless this time now? We ask this in the holy, precious, and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Read with me Hebrews chapter 3. Let's start in verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. 
Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. So why do we need to consider Jesus? Why do we need to consider Jesus? Well, first is that Jesus is the faithful apostle and high priest. Jesus is the faithful apostle and high priest. This is the first reason we need to consider Jesus. Again, we've mentioned this. We've seen the word therefore several times in the Hebrew so far. Just the, the author connecting and building off of the previous ideas. Just this progressive thinking. Just thinking, uh, hey, we're building on these ideas of how Jesus, and I'm showing you from the Old Testament, He is better. He is greater. So it, it connects the preceding thoughts to this next section. Consider here how the author now addresses his readers, his Jewish readers. Therefore, holy brothers. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Now, we're not too unfamiliar with this because a lot of the times in the New Testament, you see Christians referred to as brothers. Now, brothers, dear brothers, I, I, I ask you this, I want you to do this, encourage you with this. We see a lot of times believers are addressed as brothers in the New Testament. So, where be brothers and sisters, just kind of the collective body of Christ. Brothers. But the word holy, the word holy is paired here. And this is the only time that this is used in the New Testament. The, the words holy brother used like this. Every other time you'll see like, hey, brothers and sisters, my brothers. But here's where we see the only time in the New Testament where we see holy brothers. Holy brothers. That's pretty significant. So we need to look a little bit what that means. Well, what does that remind us of? Think about holy brothers. Look back at verse 11 in chapter 2. Why would the author write to holy brothers? Somebody read Verse 11 in chapter 2 for me out loud. Somebody read that for me. Thank you, Landry. The one who sanctifies and the ones who are sanctified all have one source. He's referring to them as holy brothers because he's reminding them that Jesus has sanctified them. That Jesus has declared them holy and therefore is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed to call them holy. He has sanctified us and therefore we are holy before God. He's reminding them of what Jesus has done. He is the perfect Savior. He He has made His people holy before God. This is a heavenly calling. As He says, you you who share a heavenly calling. This is a heavenly calling, not an earthly one. It's not... An earthly calling. We're holy brothers and sisters, not because of the family ties we have here on earth. I'm not holy because my parents raised me in church. My parents are Christians. That doesn't make me holy. What makes me holy is that Jesus has sanctified me. It's not my religious activity. It's because Jesus has tasted death for me and calls me his brother. And the same is true for you in Christ. You are declared holy or are a brother or a sister of Jesus. Not because of anything here on earth, but because of what He has done. Reminding the believers of their heavenly calling as holy brothers, the author encourages them to do something. What does he encourage them to do? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling... What, is that? what are those next two words? Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider, to give careful thought 
or attention to. Not just to, oh, okay, Jesus. Yeah, just, we, we, I'm familiar with No, pay attention. Consider Jesus. Pay close attention to Jesus. To, to who He is, to what He's done, to everything about Him. Consider Jesus. There are a couple things that we see here only in this passage of Scripture that are pretty cool. One is that the author refers to the Christians as holy brothers. That's the only time we see that in the New Testament. Another is we see Jesus referred to as an apostle. We're kind of unfamiliar with that. What, what does that mean? That Jesus is referred to as an apostle. What is an apostle? Somebody tell me, what's an apostle? Like, what does it literally mean? Does anybody know? Who were the apostles? Who were some of the apostles? Yeah, John. Who, who were some of the apostles? Paul. Bartholomew. Yeah, the ones Jesus sent out. It literally means sent out ones. It's, it's the ones who were sent out. And so that's, that's literally what the term apostle means. And so what do, you, what do you think the author means by referring to Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession? What do you think Jesus, the author means by referring to Jesus that way? I mean, think about it. The sent out one. The sent one. Jesus was sent from God. He was sent from God. So the apostles were the ones sent out by Jesus, right? You know, it, yeah, they were the ones who right there with Jesus, sent out by Jesus. In the sense we're talking about here, Jesus was sent by God. He was sent out by God. He is referred to as an apostle in this sense. So simply put, Jesus is the sent one from God. The one sent by God with a specific message to accomplish a specific mission. And as we've seen here already in Hebrews, there's tons of Old Testament references. We've looked at all those Old Testament passages in chapter 1. We've looked at some in chapter 2. We're talking about angels. We're talking about Moses, who's a figure in the Old Testament. We're looking at all these Old Testament references. And what the author's doing is he's writing to this Jewish audience using the Old Testament to establish the superiority of Christ. Hey, those Old Testament scriptures that you're so familiar with, that you regard so highly, I'm going to use those to show you how they're incomplete in themselves. They're pointing to something beyond what we see here. And it's Jesus. They're, the author's using the Old Testament to establish the superiority of Jesus. And the point the author is continuing to make is that God's covenant with His people in Jesus is greater than the covenant He made with His people through Moses. So let's think about this. In the Old Testament, God delivered His people from slavery in Egypt through who? Through Moses. God gave the Old Covenant to His people through who? Through Moses. So we see God delivering His people out of slavery, God establishing a covenant, giving them a law through Moses. Moses was faithful to God, just as we see here in Hebrews 3. Moses is faithful. That's what the author's trying to highlight. Moses is, he's a faithful servant of God. He was faithful to God. But Jesus is greater. Why is Jesus greater? Jesus is greater because He delivered God's people from their greater slavery. More than just their, their physical circumstance of slavery, He delivered us from slavery to sin. 
And were Aaron, not Moses, not Moses wasn't even a priest. Aaron, his brother, was a high priest. Aaron was a high priest. He would offer sacrifices continually on the behalf of the people, right? We see that, that you know, yearly Moses would go, I mean, Aaron would go into the, the Holy of Holies and would make sacrifice for the sins of all the people of Israel. He would do this continually. But Jesus offered a sacrifice once and for all. One time. And He Himself was that sacrifice. He didn't offer up a goat or a lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus established a new and a better covenant with His people. Better than the covenant that was given through Moses. So we see everything about Moses that was good. Moses was great. The author's not diminishing the role of Moses. The author's not saying, well, Moses, he did a pretty good job, but let's not not think too highly of him. No, the author's like, hey, Moses, he was faithful. Moses spoke to God face to face as a friend. Moses, when he was on the mountain, he came down, the the glory of God was radiating off his face. It scared the people half to death. Like Moses walked closely with God. He was faithful. And God even says of Moses that he is faithful. The point is that Jesus is even better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. Everything pretty much that was important in the Jewish mindset, they associated with Moses. You know, God gave His law to Moses, and so basically when Moses was speaking, they understood that God was speaking through Moses. And if you read the Old Testament, the whole law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, was written by Moses. We're seeing that God established His covenant with His people through Moses in the beginning. He was faithful. In the New Testament, when you read about the Old Testament, you read about the law, it's often referred to as the law of Moses. As it was written in the law of Moses. The point is this. Moses was a faithful servant worthy of honor. He was. How much more then is Jesus worthy of honor as an apostle and a high priest? We need to consider Jesus because He is an apostle and He is the high priest. He is worthy of honor. Next, because Jesus is the builder of the house. That's point number two. Jesus is the builder of the house. Look at verses three and four with me. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. We just talked about that. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is considered worthy of more honor than Moses because Moses was a member of the house. But Jesus built the house. He's the builder of the house. And obviously the builder is greater than anything built. That is the built and the tools that are used to build it. I mean, think about... How God created the world. We look at creation. We marvel. That's great. But we understand there's a creator and he's greater. I think about a few years ago when we were building our house. You know, I didn't I didn't go up to the, you know, the the cabinets and go, man, those cabinets. Man, they did a really good job hanging themselves. Those saw man, that saw did a really good job. Do you see how that paint just how it so evenly covered? Man, that paint did a really good job. I didn't write checks to the wood and to the saws and to the hammers and to the nails and screws. I didn't write checks to those people. Why? 
Because the one who built them was greater. The one who used the tools is greater. I cut the check to the one who actually did the stuff. I didn't, I didn't look around when my house was being framed and go, Ivy, you see those two-by-fours? I mean, look how, look how they just like... They just like came out of nowhere, stood up, and just formed perfectly. No, because somebody put them there. Somebody cut them, designed them, placed them where they needed to go. The one who built the house is greater. You think about, you go to any structure, any, any building, anything, who's, anything that's built. You look, oh, that's a great thing. Who built that piece of furniture that's right back there? I've had tons of adults go, oh, I love that piece of furniture. Who built it? Why? It's because the builder is worthy of more honor than the thing that is built. The same thing here. Jesus is worthy of more honor than Moses because Moses is part of the house, this spiritual house we're talking about, that God is building. Without the one to build the house, there would be no house. The builder is greater than the house that is built, no matter how incredible the house is. Moses was a faithful servant. And outside of God, he's probably the most important person in the Old Testament. Yet he was part of God's house. You and I as Christians, you're part of the church. Not this building. You're not a brick and mortar. You're a person. You're part of the church that God has built. Jesus created the church and you and I are members of it. Let me give you a couple of scripture verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22 tells us that we are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we think about this. Jesus Christ is the one on whom, by whom, and for whom the church exists. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the foundation on which the church is built. You and I, we are united in Christ and we're being built up together by God as the church. We are the spiritual house. It's, we're not placing ourselves there. We're not doing anything. If we have the chance to lead somebody else to Christ, guess what? It's because somebody else poured the gospel into us and we're pouring the gospel into somebody else. But who's the one who saves? It's God. Because God is the one who builds His church. A group of believers over probably 60 years, I think about 60 years or so ago, established Hillcrest Baptist Church in New Albany, Mississippi. And we finally got a building and we came here. But guess what? They were only able to do that because they were part of the church that God has built. You and I are part of the church that God has built and is building. Moses, he was faithful. He was a faithful servant. But Jesus is greater because he is the builder of this spiritual house. Moses and all of us are just part of it. Those whom God has used, such as Moses, they're worthy of honor. Moses is worthy of honor. When we read about all that Moses did, we should have a great respect for Moses. But we should not worship Moses. We should not have a greater respect for Moses than we do of Jesus. 
Because Jesus is greater than Moses because He is the builder of all things. Lastly, we see that Jesus is the Son over the house. Jesus is the Son over the house. Moses is a servant in the house. He's a servant in the house. Jesus is a Son over the house. You with me? Moses, he was a servant in the house. Jesus is Son over the house. Verses 5 and 6 show the greatest contrast between Jesus and Moses. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over the house, over God's house as a son. Moses is in God's house as a servant. Jesus is over as a son. Sometimes when we think of servants, we, we kind of think of um, a lower status. Someone who is serving their master. Kind of just, when we think of servant, we just kind of drop them way down low. And, and in a sense, yeah, because servants serve their masters, right? A lot of times in the New Testament, when you see the word uh, servant or bond servant, it's the Greek word doulos. And it has to do with just like it's a bond servant, someone who is serving. That word is not used here to describe Moses. So we think of someone as a bond servant, we think of their status being lower, right? The word used here is a Greek word that is only used here in the New Testament. So it's pretty cool. Right in these few verses, we see the only time that holy brothers is used together. We see the only time Jesus is referred to as an apostle. And we see the only time this word for servant is used. And this word for servant, it's a term of dignity and freedom. And so when, what the author is trying to say is Moses was a faithful servant. He's faithful in God's house as a servant. He, he's showing a high honor and dignity. That Moses wasn't like low on the totem pole. Moses was high. He was regarded highly in the house of God. He was a faithful servant. He was one that was, he was revered. He was respected as a servant. It's, it's to show the dignity that he had, the freedom that he had. You think back, I've already mentioned this, but you think back to the angels. The author wasn't diminishing the angels in chapter 1 of Hebrews, right? He's not diminishing angels. He's just showing Jesus is better. Same thing here. The author's not saying, oh, Moses was a servant, as in like trying to diminish him. He's showing, hey, Moses is a servant. He's a respected, dignified servant. He's elevating, he's elevating Jesus. The author's showing these Jews that everything about the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything that was highly valued in the Old Testament finds its place under the supremacy of Christ. So everything that was seen as important, the law, the prophets, the ones who came, everything about the Old Testament that was held in high regard, it finds its fulfillment under the supremacy of Christ. Moses was a highly dignified servant, but that's what he was. He was a servant. He testified to things yet to come. Moses himself, everything about his life and his ministry pointed to something greater. Pointed to something greater, namely Jesus. Deuteronomy 18.15 is a verse that makes this very clear. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, the Lord, this is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses was even saying about himself, hey, Israel, listen up. God's going to raise up a prophet from among you, and he's going to be better than I am. You're, you're going to listen to him because he's greater than me. Moses, his life, his ministry was pointing even 
further, even forward to Jesus. Christ is God over God's house as a son, a son who never leaves his house because it belongs to him. Unlike Moses, who was a servant. You think about servants. Servants come and go. Servants will come in, they'll leave, they'll, they come and go. But, but a son remains forever because the house belongs to him. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son who never leaves. Which brings us to the last sentence of this section of verses, which provides such a great comfort and encouragement to us, but also a word of warning. Look at the end of verse 6. Look at the last sentence here. And we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We are God's house. We are, we are God's house. We are the temple in which God dwells. If you are a believer, you are the temple in which the holy God dwells. And Christ is faithful as a son over us. God's house. We are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. Now, hold on a second. Let me read that again. And we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. What does that word if mean? What does that word if mean? We are God's house. We're, we're believers if we keep a certain condition. Is that what, is that what this is saying? Because look at it with me. And we are His house if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting and our hope. Is this saying that we belong to God if we meet a certain condition? If we do this? Is that what the text is saying? What, is, what does that mean? You remember back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19? 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This word if used here in Hebrews 3, it's not a condition saying, hey, yeah, God saved you, but you've got to keep your salvation. Yeah, God gives you salvation as a free gift, but you got to work to keep it. You're God's house. He gave that to you if you hold fast to your confidence and boasting and hope. It's, it's, it can be very easily misunderstood if you don't understand what this is talking about. What the author's talking about here is perseverance. Perseverance in the faith. We are His house if indeed we continue on in the faith. For another way to say it. If you continue on, not saying our faith is conditional on us, but the way we prove we have genuine faith in Christ is by persevering in the faith, by continuing on. How do you know that I'm still married to Ivy? It's because I continue to pursue her. I continue to love her. I continue to live with her. I continue to do what married couples do, just being married. We're married. We're starting a family. We're doing this. We're together. Like, that's my person. 
But I continue in this, right? That's how you know we're married. How do we know that you are part of the house of God? Is if you continue on in the faith. It's just proof. It doesn't earn. You don't earn salvation. You're not trying to earn to keep it either. You're proving that you belong to God by holding fast your confidence and your boasting in the hope that you have in Christ. So the if is not conditional. As if, yes, God freely gives salvation, but you've got to work to keep it. That's, that's a misinterpretation. What, what the author's saying is, yeah, you're his house. Now, now prove it. Live your life. Hold fast to the confidence and boasting in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. The church is not made up of brick and mortar. The church is made up of persevering believers who have authentic faith in Christ Jesus. Those who are holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. Those who are the people that make up the church. And what are they to do? To consider Jesus. To keep our eyes fixed on Him. Past several weeks, we've really emphasized how Jesus is greater than everything and everyone. He's, he's the greater revelation of God. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater everything. Everything up to this point in Hebrews is emphasizing the fact that everything about the Christian life, everything about the Christian life, worship, God's revelation of Himself, God's covenant with His people, everything and everyone in the Old Testament, all finds its fulfillment in Jesus. All the religious activity that the Old Testament talks about, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Everything about the Christian life. The Jewish audience of Hebrews found themselves in a severely persecuted world in the first century, under severe persecution. And the author sought to encourage them by showing them the superiority of Christ. And by encouraging them and urging them to seriously consider Christ. Consider Jesus. And so that's how I want us to close tonight. I want us just to close just by considering Jesus. It's easy to come in and just to listen and leave and go and do your homework and get ready for the next day and just go about whatever. But I want us just to consider Jesus tonight. Just to be still and consider Jesus. We have an apostle and a great high priest who is our perfect Savior. We have a Savior who cares for us, who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses when we're tempted. Jesus has sanctified His people and He's not ashamed to call you His brother or your sister. If you trust Him. Jesus has restored what we lost because of sin. And we have an eternal hope awaiting us in heaven. And so consider Jesus. Just for a moment, I just want you to bow your heads and just just pray. Just think. Just consider. Pay close attention to. Just carefully think about Jesus. Think about who He is. Think about what He's done. And just worship Him. Give Him thanks. Give Him the honor that He's due. Think about the Old Testament. Think about how it's fulfilled in Jesus. Think about your own life. 
your own struggles, your weaknesses, your sin, and how Jesus Himself, we find all the answers. We find complete fulfillment. So just take a moment and just, just consider Jesus. And we'll close in prayer. God, it's so hard just to be still. It's so hard just to consider you. The world around us is just begging us and screaming at us to consider everything else. (laughs) Consider entertainment. Consider social media. Consider school. Consider Sports, consider band, consider activities, consider friends, consider all these things, and they can be good things. But the world is screaming at us to consider everything around us and to not pay much attention to Jesus. Even so far as where the enemy wants to twist the Word of God and twist our mindset to where we think, oh, Jesus is always there for us. And so I can go and pursue all these other things because I know Jesus is always there. Jesus doesn't change, so I can go off and do all these things. And when I need Him, I can turn and run to Him. God, that's, that's the enemy lying to us, distorting the truth, leading us away from God. Help us just to understand There are good things in life that you give us. But God, when we consider these things and we don't consider Jesus, God, we've made them idols and we're not being faithful Christians. God, we have so many things to do that we have to do, that we need to do, that we want to do. But God, may we never, may it never be said of us that we don't stop and consider Jesus. That we don't give careful attention to You. It's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to say that we've considered Jesus simply by coming to church, by doing a daily devotional, a daily quiet time. It's easy to say that we've considered Jesus by just doing these things. God, the author of Hebrews, is writing to a Jewish audience who very much so was doing religious activity. And he told them to consider Jesus. God, how much more in our crazy busy culture do we need to consider Jesus? Lord, give us a discipline to consider Jesus, to be still, to know that You are God, to exalt You, To worship You. And God, if that means we have to give up things in our lives so that we can be still and consider You, God, give us courage and strength to do it. 
if it means that we just need to be better managers of our time that we have, help us to do it. Let it not be said of us that we just drift through this life being carried by the wind and the waves of the world that seem pleasant, but drift us very quickly right past Jesus. Would you help us to be still to consider Jesus? And would you help us, God, to carry that into the world, to our friends, so that when they look at us, when our family looks at us, they see that we're different. Because we're not running around like crazy like everybody else. But we find joy in being still at the feet of Jesus. Would you help us as we go forth to find joy in you as we sit in your presence to consider you? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.